Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. I'm Seth Greenberg, joined by Jay Billis. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. Uh, before we start, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, Anthony Grant and his family on the passing of his daughter, Jada Danielle Grant. Uh, uh, just a tragic and, uh, like I said, uh, Anthony Grant, one of the really great human beings in our game. And uh, our thoughts and prayers are out to him and his family. Please have him in your prayers. Today's... Uh, conversation is going to be a, a little bit, Jay, uh, like uh, who came back? A bunch of big guys came back. And, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, the NIL and, and the benefit of the NIL. And, uh, you start making lists. And it, it really is interesting. The very, very best players, I mean, you know, you start going down the list, whether it's Oscar Shibway or Drew Timmy or Trace Jackson Davis or Armando Baycott or uh, you know, uh, Zulus Trabellos or Zach Eady. Uh, you start going to Hunter Dickinson. Uh, it's absolutely incredible the number of legitimate front court post players that are returning to college basketball this year. What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, the, the post guys are the headliners, but we've had uh, a, a bunch of players come back. Now, the, the headlines have been NIL and the, and the transfer portal because it's different and the coaches don't like it because it it you know causes them to work more. I mean, there's more there's more uncertainty and and uh, you know players are making decisions. And you know back in the day when coaches would say my way or the highway, there was no highway. And now players can take the highway. But you know I think it it speaks well for the college game when players are deciding to come back. And you know we, we always talk about well you know players leaving early and it's not good for the game and we need more maturity and the mature teams win well now we've got more maturity and now the reasons for them coming back maybe they're coming back because uh, you know low post big guys are not coveted by the NBA anymore uh, maybe it's because uh, you know they can make uh, really good money in college and enjoy their experience uh, continue that maybe they're just not prepared to. Uh, mentally prepared to say, okay, well, I'm I'm ready to be a pro now. I'm going to commit to being a, being a, a full time you know NBA player. Um, whatever the reasons are, for those who champion education uh, as the primary reason for college sports, we should be you know popping champagne bottles over this. That that look at all these these athletes that are continuing their education. And so I think it's a win on uh, uh, multiple levels for the game. I, I definitely think it's good for those that are coming back. But if they had chosen to move on, uh, I wouldn't have worried about it. As you know, I, I, I think and you and I, I think we, we agree on this. I'm good with any decision that a player you yeah. know, and his family makes as long as, as it's an informed one. And the players have more information now than ever. And, and I'm really, you know, I really feel good about, uh, you know, sort of the system in place so they can make those decisions in an informed fashion. Yeah, I think listening and hearing, uh, I think listening and hearing now with, uh, with the NIL, it, you can listen and hear from two sides. Uh, before it was listen and hear, I, I really believe a lot of players basically sought out someone to tell them what they wanted to hear. And maybe some bad decisions were made, but everyone's got to make a decision that's in their best interest and their family's best interest. And I respect anyone's decision. But with NIL, 
uh, especially uh, you know, with a lot of these big guys and, and, and perimeter players as well. But you know, the big guys, it, it, it's been incredible, the number of really outstanding front court players that have returned to college basketball. Uh, it's a chance to continue to develop, continue to get better, continue to maybe improve your your stock in terms of, 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 and your game in terms of having a chance to not only get to the league, but stay in the league. Uh, so I think it's absolutely going to be incredible for college basketball. When you think about uh, Drew Timmy, you think about a Trace Jackson Davis, it could be Big Ten player of the year. Oscar Shibway, the returning national player of the year. What Armando Baycott's been able to do, you know, quite honestly, that whole team, the North Carolina team, four players returning is just, is absolutely incredible. So, I think it's. I think it's really, really. Uh, it's a great. It's great for our game. I mean, our, look, our game never disappoints. But to have players of this stature returning, to have programs that have key players returning, I and mean, I look at Marcus Sasser's decision to come back with Houston. They might have the best backcourt in college basketball next year. I mean, when you think about his decision to return, uh, that's a Houston team that once again is going to be competing for. And the lead eight of five or four, maybe a national championship. Uh, Julian Schrauter, who come, you know, comes back, uh, you know, at, at Gonzaga. I mean, you see the number of players that are coming back. I, I think it's really exciting uh, for our game. And then, you know, we've had some movement, obviously, in the transfer portal. But you know, like Jay, when you start looking at the transfers, do you have one or two guys that jump out at you and say, you know, like this guy's going to really make a difference? Because you know, I started going through it, like. Kendrick Davis might have the greatest impact of any of the transfers who's going to end up going from SMU to Memphis. But when you start going through the best teams, is it Andre Corbello going to St. John's? Obviously, with you know, you talk about a backcourt, that could be a, a dynamic backcourt, especially with the way Mike Anderson plays. But there are, are, are there a couple of guys that just you know, say, like, man, uh, this guy could make a difference. There's one that hasn't committed yet, Pete Nance, because I think he's a real difference maker, but like of the guys that have moved on, who are the guys that have kind of said, you know what, I'm interested to watch that team? Yeah, Pete Nance from Northwestern. Uh, I, I didn't know Ooh. he hadn't committed yet. But, you know, I would say Malachi Smith going from Chattanooga to Gonzaga is going to be yeah. uh, a big one because he can really score yep. and he'll be used uh, incredibly well, uh, I think, by uh, by Mark Few and his staff. Um, Kevin McCuller uh, leaving yeah. Texas Tech and headed to Kansas. Uh, that's going to be a, a big one because he can really defend. And, and I think you put him in that Kansas system. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the one thing about the transfer set that I think is really interesting, and it goes back to the old, you know, the old coaches thing of my way of the highway, you know, players are taking the highway now. Um, it, it, it's there, there's been some hand wringing over it uh, in the coaching circles. And I know you hear it more than I do. Um, and it, it's different. And it's something where, you know, people are going to have to get used to uh, because it's not the, the way it's always been. But there have been a number of assistant coaches that have gone from one team to another in, in the last couple of months. Maybe the most high profile is Jay Lucas leaving Kentucky to, to take an assistant spot under John Shire at Duke. And it, it, it I think it's just kind of interesting to listen to the way people couch things. And it's not everybody. But, but just ge the general stuff you hear. So when a player leaves, he was lured away or he was poached off our roster, things like that. But nobody said that with Jay Lucas. He got an offer and he took it. And, you know, he had a contract. 
And he he looked at a new offer and co- contemplated it. And it was an arm's length deal and pretty simple. And so he essentially transferred from Kentucky to Duke. And nobody said a word about it. Uh, and well, there, I, I really, there, there, have, there haven't been 15 or 1,800 assistant coaches transferring. No, I understand that. 1,800 college basketball players transferring. So no, I, mean, I, I understand I, I'm how not sure that's a great analogy. It, it's a I perfect think, analogy, think, actually. It's a perfect analogy. Uh, the well, number doesn't I, matter. I'll count there. Well, the number I, doesn't I love, matter. He went for a better offer. I mean, John, which is great yeah, for him and his future, which, I, 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 which is great for him. Uh, my biggest thing, and look, I understand where you're coming from, and this is this is my what I'm talking to the guys that I, coaches that I talk to and, and are are dealing with the transfer portal. It's real simple: coach your team, man. Don't be afraid to coach your team because you know what? If a kid's gonna leave, he's gonna leave, and and if he's gonna leave because you're coaching him hard, then you know what? Then uh, you know what? He's probably not gonna help you win if he's get, if he's gonna leave because he doesn't like your style of play. Whether you coach him harder, you or, or you acquiesce, it makes no difference. You, what, I think what's happened is coaches are, are concerned about the perception of the portal. They're concerned of losing players. Obviously, they're concerned of mid-major coaches want to hold on to their players, and, and that's great, and, and I understand. And, and mid-major players want to play at the highest level, which is, you know, just like mid-major coaches want to coach guys. Well, I have no problem with any of it. I just think that sometimes our coaches have gotten apprehensive about coaching uh the way they coach uh because they're concerned uh about you know if i coach this guy really hard and and, and look there's different ways to, i'm not talking about being demeaning i'm just talking about being really demanding uh but i i think it is what it is the transfer portal is not going anywhere uh the unlimited transfer is is here to stay because everyone's getting a waiver uh it's going to be free agency every year and so like i spoke to one coach in the big ten it wasn't tom Izzo. And say, I'm going to coach the guys in front of me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to coach the guys in front of me. At the end of the year, if my roster changes, so be it. Then I'll coach, you know, go get a new group of players, and then I'll coach that group of players that are in front of me. And that's just what it is. But I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I think some coaches are a little bit up in arms, uh, you know, with the idea of free agency every year. But uh, you, you, the one thing you got to remember, and I think the assistant coaches is, is a good analogy because I'd say for the head coaches that move on, they pay buyouts or someone pays a buyout. For the assistant coaches that move on, they just move on to a new position. I, I just think the number is not, you know, it's not apples and apples. That's where I guess we we disagree. It well, I mean, it's not apples. Conceptually, and apples. is well, but you can compare apples too. One's a Granny Smith, the other's a Red Delicious. I mean, who, you compare apples and oranges, and orange is a different color than an apple. You can compare those things. The the point with all this stuff is how we talk about it. And look, I agree that coaches should coach their team, but the players have a decision to make. They decide where they're going to go out of high school. And then they decide at the end of a season, whether they're going to stay or find another opportunity, because I do think it's, it's exactly the same Seth as, as the assistant coach, like just the way you, you couched it with, with Jay Lucas, he got a better offer, or at least he, he believed it was a better offer. Yeah. And he had a, he had a contract too. Now, whether the contract had a buyout in it was between him and Kentucky. Um, But, but it's the same thing for a player. There's a better situation for me. And I want to go to this place over, over staying here. Um, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, I, I talk to teams like you do all the time. And one of the things that I say is 
you know, you, you have points of times to make decisions where it's appropriate. So you have the, the decision to attend a, to attend a school and play for a certain team and coach. Uh, and then at the end of the season, when the season is over, then you have a decision whether to stay or go. That's perfectly appropriate. Um, you can't be messing with any of that stuff while the season's going on. Uh, and, and just like you're saying uh, to coaches, coach your team, uh, you say to players, you know, play and deal with the situation that's in front of you. And you have to, like, I, I believe that every player has to um, be all in during the season yeah. and, and accept what you're being told as the truth. Because I just don't know coaches that lie to players over playing time. They, you know, they play the, the players they think are going to give them the best chance to win. Uh, but, but what I'm talking about is overall, like we're seeing and hearing, and, and look, I, I, I get it. I'm okay with it. People should say what they want to say. But there's a tremendous, there's still a tremendous amount of complaining over something that's been going on for a long time. NIL is relatively new uh, to the, even to the transfer portal. The transfer portal has been going on a while. And we have to expect that the players are going to exercise their rights. And we have players that are transferring up. Like we mentioned, Malachi Smith transfer, you'd say, okay, that's an up transfer from, from Chattanooga to Gonzaga, where he's going to be playing on a bigger stage. Uh, but there are also a ton of players that are transferring out of a situation from a major college and transferring down to a mid-major where they can play more, be a bigger deal, whatever they want. Earl uh, Timberlake maybe. went from Memphis, from yeah, Miami to it, Memphis, Memphis to Bryant. Yeah, that stuff happens all the time. And just as you would have a coach, whether it's a head coach or an assistant coach, that's going to leave a situation to try to better themselves, whether they're, they're trying to move up, make their careers better, whatever it is, that's the same thing the players are doing. And, and it's not all, all this stuff. I mean, I, I respect the, 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 the things that are being said. I just don't agree with it. Just the idea that, you know, nobody wants to go through adversity anymore. Like, give me a break. We didn't want to go through adversity 30 years ago. We just didn't have a choice. And now the players have more of a choice. And, uh, they, and they do, Jay. But that, like, again, and I think you, you're, you're in the philosophy of obviously potentially having contract for the players because like free agency every single year. And like in, in theory, you say, you know, and, and I know you do a great job because I know a bunch of friends whose teams you've talked to about like, if you're there, have both feet in, right, be totally committed to the team, could be totally committed to the program. That sounds good in theory, but we all know that if that kid might have want to have both feet in, but someone in his circle of influence whether he's playing or he's playing above his level or whatever, sometime during the course of that season, the, the amount of static around that player, it is hard. It is hard to keep him focused and have both feet in when maybe over here he's hearing, hey, you know, you're not getting enough shots. The system's not good for you. Over here he's hearing, uh, hey, I spoke to this guy. They might be interested and you decide to transfer. You know, so, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit more complex than just saying, well, you know, hey, when you're there, just have both feet in. Because I, I, I do believe that, you know, that's that's the hardest thing I think that the coaches are going through is that, you know, you know, if, eventually mid-semester transfers are going to be eligible. I don't and, think uh, so, so. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, well, I, I hope it doesn't because I think it, that'll, that'll make it even more difficult. But, I mean. That can it, be regulated. That, that's something that, that, you know, the NCAA doesn't have to, to, to worry about regulating. You can have reasonable rules with regard to, and and they do need to tweak the transfer portal 
and uh, and you, you make it a little calendar dates. Like yeah, I think that's that's can. reasonable because that 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 used to be when the portal first came in, or at least the idea of immediate eligibility came in. You know, most of the coaches don't have any idea what the history of this is. Frankly, they they don't understand the history of of the NCAA. Well, they understand and how it the, works. Uh, the other sports that ha- have have don't have you know a, a year residence. I mean, I think most of the guys in football, basketball, understand that some of the other. Sc- they do now. Don't. They didn't years well, they ago. Did. They they I, thought they thought that every sport had to sit out, and it was only five. It was football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. Those were the hockey. only sports that yep. had to sit out. Yeah. They had to sit out a year. Everyone else was immediately eligible, and it was because the NCAA didn't care about those sports, frankly. And the idea that those coaches uh, don't care about their roster management the way, you know, sort of the football and basketball, hockey and baseball coaches do, of course they care about it. it, it that's as important to them as, ba- as as football is to Nick Saban. Um, but, but you know, the coaches didn't really understand that part of it. But I would hear a lot of coaches back, back in the day, several years ago, when this was really uh, coming to a head, they would say, well, what's next? Are we going to have players that transfer during halftime and play on the other team? And the truth was an assistant coach could do that. You know, we had that stuff happen when when coaches used to complain. Uh, Bo Ryan did this years ago, and he he wound up taking a lot of heat over it. He denied a transfer uh, to a player that was uh, transferring within his conference. And it became a big brouhaha. The guy ultimately became eligible anyway. And he made it seem like these guys were running up Omaha Beach together and they all had the plans for D-Day. And none of it was true, you know, that somehow it was unfair to his players that another player would transfer within the league and take all of Wisconsin's secrets with him when an assistant coach could do that anytime. And it happened all the time in, in basketball and football, uh, you know, so they got the playbook, but, but a player couldn't do it. And that's sort of the, the the problem that we have is we're still stuck in the complaining mode. And I, I don't know if you saw this the other day. I mean, I you know I put it out on social media because I thought it was funny, but I don't know what it is about basketball. But um, and it, it's it, I'm bringing this up uh, in in sort of the same context that you know it seems like we complain in basketball that the good old days were like like the players were better they were tougher they were better athletes you know the 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 bulls teams of the 90s would beat the hell out of the golden state warriors now and i was like are you kidding me like the players now are better than ever and i i think it's i think it's true in college i think the coaches are better than ever i think the offenses that are run the defenses that are run like the game is fantastic right now uh, we're just dealing with some new things for the coaches, but, and they'll say, well, you know, like Tom Izzo might say, well, Judd Heathcote never had to deal with this. And he's right. Judd never did, but Judd made $35,000 a year. And the game was, was basically run like division two is now with, with a little bit of television. And now, now this is a multi-billion dollar business. And if we think that parents are not, are not going to be involved in guardians and agents and all that stuff with all this money in the game that we let in, not the players, we turn this into a multi-billion dollar business, not the players. If we think that, that, that they're going to just sit there and, and take it like we did back in the day, they're not. The game, that, it's over. And we better start running this like the business that it is. Uh, or, or it's going to be really frustrating 
for those who who want it to go back to the way it was because it never will. It's never going to well, be. It, like it's that not again. Jay. It's not going to go back to the way it was. But we got to have we got to have some we got to have some legislation to have. And isn't and I don't and I and look. I th- I think the Power Five plus what what maybe the Big East and and a, a couple of other schools are going to break away. So there is a commonality because you can't have commonality between three hundred fifty seven institutions it's just impossible right you know you've got to have some type of bylaws or you know, just like the nba has bylaws and rules and regulations and major league baseballs and the nfl does you say this is uh you know a professional sport well then we got to have better bylaws and there's got to be there's got to be things in place so that there is like some what? type of well i like well it's it's either going to be contracts or you can't have like there's no sport in the world that can survive a free agency every year it just can't. They can't. Every single year, the, the NFL and the NBA survive on, on, on one-year contracts and free agency every single year. All right? It, it would be mass chaos. So we've got to find a way to navigate whatever we're doing, whether it is contracts like you guys, you, you, you've talked about, where there are obviously contracts and there are things that, uh, that the player has to fulfill, whether it's academic, whether it's quality of life, whether it's social or whether it's, you know, behavioral, whatever it is that, 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 that player is going to be held accountable and then they break the contract as a consequence, but there's got to be something eventually because. Well, there's nothing stopping, but there's nothing stopping from the schools to signing players to contracts now, except for they don't want to. So the, the, really the only rule is the NCAA. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. The NCAA has said they can't be employees. So it's the it's the schools saying we can't do it. They they can do it anytime they want. There's nothing stopping them. There's no like federal or state law that's stopping players from from being signed to contracts. And you know the the issue with all this stuff, like one of the when when, when we start talking about limitate limiting players, um, in in the NBA or the NFL, there are very strict rules on on talking to coaches. Another franchise talking to a coach. So you, you you know we could do that too. I don't see, I don't hear the any of the no, coaches wait, asking wait, for wait that. What is what is it, Jay? There there is that going on. I, I've spent a half million dollars of my own money buying out of contracts. All right, and I had a procedure right in and in, in, in almost every single coach's contract. All right, if you get contacted or you have someone who's involved with another institution, all right, you have to have full disclosure or or that buyout sometimes is even greater. NFL so, I mean, and NBA I, can't even be contacted. You're under contract. You can't even be contacted. Yeah. But but so, their agents so, are. But no, agents no. Are. Yeah, for after your contract's over. I'm not yeah. talking about back, you know, so, some sort of back channel discussion here. But you're not going to see, you're not going to see a coach in the middle of a contract leave for another team. Uh, they may resign or quit or something like that. That's fine. But but you're not going to see it like it is in college. And, and there's been no movement for uniform rules with regard to that. And when, when we start talking about players and what, cause that's what everybody's asking is how do we limit what players can do and make? Now we're talking about collective bargaining and dealing with the players. And what, what, when people say the NBA does it differently, there's no free, you know, they can't leave. They can't do this, can't do that. Or the NFL, what, what people miss is that, in those leagues, not only do they collectively bargain, but the players get half of the revenues. So right now, the, the NCAA system is getting off cheap with regard to players. And, uh, and so the idea that this can't operate, 
not only can it operate, it is operating and it will operate. I think in the long run that the schools are going to find and, you know, sort of the NCAA by extension is going to find that signing players to contracts is cleaner, easier and better business. And that's why they're going to do it. Um, but they conceptually. Would you say it'll be a salary cap? Because I believe a we, salary we cap. Right okay. Director at Ohio State. And, That's the question. And Coach Day say thirteen million dollars. They spoke to a group of boosters the other day, hundred wealthy boosters in, in, in their community, and said they, they need to have thirteen million dollars to, to basically recruit within their program. Now let, let's let's say that we we started with NIL in this conversation a little bit. There's nothing going on in terms of NIL. This thing is all pay for play. And of I course this, it is, and it I said be. this four. I said this four months ago. When any, well, everyone was fighting NIL. You know, you get, and NIL has nothing to do with this. This is 100% pay for play. When, when, when that guy at University of Miami goes to Isaiah Wong and says, well, if he doesn't like the deal, then he can leave and I'll go get someone else. All right. That was that 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 to me was the most uh, offensive comment that I've heard in all of the NIL to start with. Because Why was he was that basically saying, well, I mean, God, honestly, because I can buy and sell you. You don't want to be here. You don't want your country. Boom, I can get rid of you. I'm buying and sell. I'll, I'll not the university, not the coach. I'll go get, we're the university of mine. I'll go get another player. To me, to me, that, 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 that reeked from, uh, to me, it came across very uh, offensive. I thought it was just, here. honestly, I thought it was just business that, so Nigel Pack comes in reportedly, and who knows if the reports are correct, reportedly 400,000 a year. For two years. Yeah, two years. And Isaiah Wong says, hey, I'm your best player. I just took you in Elite Eight, which you've never been to before. I expect more. And Miami, through their collective, said, nope, we already have a deal. We're sticking to it. And so if you want to leave, then leave. And Wong decided to stay. I mean, what was it, what's the difference than an assistant coach coming in and saying, hey, look, I got this offer from another school. Um, if you don't up my compensation, I'm going to take this offer. That's just business. And well, and it's we, business from an outside party that is is representing uh, the university in a manner where he's basically um, he might as well be the owner of the University of Miami. Well, but the hey, that's the way it works with boosters anyway. It always has. So, you know, the, nobody worries about it when the booster comes in and says, I'll give you I'll give you whatever it takes to buy the coach out because I want a new coach in there. And, yeah, the coach gets paid. But but that's exactly what college sports is. And, and the schools have been taking money from these people for, for generations. And, you know, I, to me, I have no problem with all this stuff. Uh, it, this, the, you know, this will find its level, but you just don't have multi-billion dollar businesses where you have one segment of the business that, that goes without getting compensated. It, just it will not work long-term. They're going to get compensated. And so, so now, now and that's you have, why I say we've got to break off because they're not getting compensated at 200 of the 100 at 357 schools because so there, there's no. So so what 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 in essence, and I've been saying this, and you've been saying this, we've all been saying it, eventually, as, as great as it is, we can still have the NCAA tournament, we can still do it or what. But in most businesses, there's a, you know, there's a commonality. Like, you know, I say we're professional sport. Well, the NBA doesn't have Colgate. You know, I mean, the NFL doesn't have Saskatchewan. You know, they, they have all people that are under this same umbrella, basically under the same set of rules. Not everyone can conduct a business. One say, well, we, you know, we need to make it a level playing field. You can't make a level playing field for 357 schools. So, you like, can't make it for 100. They, 
I think I think you could make it for the power. I don't know how many schools are in the power fives, plus it, it, like for in our sport, if you took, you know, the Big East and then schools of, that conduct their business in that manner, you know, it might be slightly different. Virginia Tech doesn't run the program like Duke, but I mean, they're 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 basically within the playing field. But I mean, you can't have those other two hundred schools are going to have to separate. The, I think they should have done that fifty years ago, anyway. You know, it's ludicrous to think that 354 schools can compete in Division One, but they they want, you know, all of them want to be in it. I think it would be better on a variety of fronts if if Division One were smaller because you'd have, every, you know, every good player would want to play on that level. So you'd have more talent spread out over fewer units. You'd have deeper teams. You'd be able to absorb transfers and uh, players leaving early a little bit better. Um, and it, and it would make better, it would make better sense period. And not one person would turn away from that because they can't see Colgate play Kentucky in the preseason or pre-conference. None of that would happen. Uh, I agree with you there, but you know, when, when people within the system talk about, uh, they want a level playing field, um, they're really only talking about, we don't want to pay the players. That's all they're saying, because if they really wanted a level playing field, there'd be revenue sharing. And there is no revenue sharing. Um, there's there all these conferences are market competitors against one another, and all these teams are competitors against one another for dollars, for talent, for TV exposure, media rights deals, you name it, talent on the floor and off. And they're willing to compete in those arenas in you know in a free market sense in every area except for players. And we're going to get there with players. Like it, it, for those who haven't figured well, it out, they're, they're, it's they're coming. There for players, no, it, it, it isn't coming, Jay. I mean, like, it is here. No, I, I mean, mean straight just, up. I mean straight up. Like you're you saying, you know, it's paper. Yeah, I think I think we're going to get to you know away from this charade of of you know limiting things to NIL, all these other things. It's over. It's over. And and I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to other people. Um, it, it's over. And so all this limiting of player stuff, uh, open it up and let's just have a free market system. And if, if the SEC wants to sign players to contracts, I know conferences are looking at it uh, because I've had inquiries about it. So they're talking about it. If we made a move and decided in our league, we wanted to you know, sign players to contracts. Uh, like there are a lot of hey, the first mover here is actually going to do pretty well. Um, but it's really not that complicated. It's no more complicated than offering scholarships and having players sign on the dotted line for a, a well, scholarship Well, would it be an paper. academic component to, to the contract? Because I, I, of I, course. again, I, I go back and say, we cannot, maybe I'm old-fashioned, and, and I'm not, but we cannot lose track of, like we had 141 kids pull out of the draft uh, the other day in terms of put their name in, because everyone wants to see their name on the bottom line. That's great. Test the waters, have an agent. It, Helps them with their and all that, all the stuff. Do do whatever you want, but it, 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 as silly as that that stupid NCAA commercial sounds, as stupid as it sounds, the deal is ninety nine percent of these dudes in all these sports aren't doing anything but when they're done playing, but getting a job, a job, and to get a job. They need to go and have an education. And I think it's all the education you receive. No, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, anyone says the one thing coaches are, are sorely under-respected for is their commitment to making sure their guys are getting an education. And I'll tell you, I've busted my ass every single freaking day 
that my biggest arguments with my players were not playing time at roles. They were that their education was more important to me than it was to them. And, I, and I'm no different than 99% of the coaches. And, That's great. And, 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 and we better have, whether, whatever we do, we better understand that most of these dudes, oh, they can go to Europe. You know, like very few guys make it in Europe. All right. I mean, this, you know, whatever, whatever the sport, most people are trying to basically, and I always use the term, but build a bridge for the rest of their life. And it's can probably be without sport. It will use the, the network and the contacts that they made maybe in, within that university to, to, to build a bridge. But we better not lose track of that 99% of these dudes and girls and, and athletes are not going to be playing. They're not. It's just a fact. But that's true. But that's true in the drama department and the music department, the art department. Uh, very yeah, few. I, I like, my daughter yeah. was an art major. Very few yeah. art majors make money in art. So what? Yeah. Like, so, so, you know, like, like to me, you know, that that's, I get, like, I get how passionate you are about it. And, and I get education. Look, I went to college. I graduated. I went to law school. I have yeah. a law degree. I was a practicing attorney, all that crap. Uh, so I, I've lived it, but that's up to each school. How they value academics is up to them. And and the one thing that the NCAA can always do is have an you know the eligibility requirement of you have to be a in order to be eligible to play, you have to be enrolled and in good standing on pace to graduate. That is not that's the way it's been forever. That's the way it's always going to be. Um, that's, and when people say, well, this is what set college, sets college athlete, athletics apart, nothing sets college athletics apart except for that. The, the only thing that sets it apart, because otherwise it's indistinguishable from pro sports. But, that, but that's a big that. It is a big, a big that, that, but it's, it's an eligibility that. requirement, Seth. All I'm saying is, you know, like we'll always have college sports played by enrolled students. So to your earlier question about about can you have academic requirements in the contract you should like so so let, let's say um i'm going to sign you uh i'm the head coach at at uh at fairly dickinson and i'm going to sign you to a, a five hundred thousand dollar a year contract to play uh at the at the harvard on the Hackensack. so i give you i put the con we negotiate the contract we get the money straight and then we say now they're going to be a couple clauses in here about academics you are going to have to remain in good standing. If you don't, we get to terminate the contract and we don't have to pay you. And if you um, if you get arrested and charged with a felony, we get to ter uh, terminate the contract. And then your represent you or your representatives are going to say, that's fine, but I want independent verification of my grades. Like, I don't want you being able to go to some professor and say, look, flunk this guy out. We got to get rid of him. Uh, so I want my I want my work independently verified if, if we get to that point. Uh, and you, and you can negotiate, say, no, 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 no. If I get convicted, we can terminate, but not if I get arrested and you have some local cop that in your back pocket, pull me over and claim that, that, you know, I was under the influence like that, that stuff's all easily negotiated. It's really not that big of a deal. And, uh, and look, I think that's where we're headed. Um, because all of us do that in our, in, you know, you did it as a coach, you've done it as a broadcaster. We've all signed contracts. We're all bound by them. They're arm's length negotiation between the two parties. It's really not that difficult. And it wouldn't be difficult with regard to players because when you were coaching in now, 
you knew exactly who, whom you wanted to recruit and exactly whom you wanted to put in the game when you wanted to win. And you know exactly what they're worth to you uh, with, with regard to your budget. You knew exactly what to pay your assistants and, and what the budget would allow. And, and you know, so the, these schools, they're running a big business here and they know exactly how to handle it. Uh, and it's really not that, but, but they don't want to do it. And they're trying desperately to get Congress to step in to limit things. But one of the things they're missing, Seth, is while, while they're asking essentially Congress to give them an antitrust exemption so they don't have to pay the players, Congress isn't going to give it to them unless they limit everything else. So they're probably going to limit coaches' salaries, too. If they ever do anything with athletes, they're going to limit coaches' salaries, too. And they're going to limit some other things. And I don't, I'm not sure whether college athletics is going to like having congressional oversight uh, of those kind of things, because it is not going to be, hey, you know, go ahead and keep doing what you're doing, which we didn't like in the first place. And we'll give you this hammer over athletes that you can carry with congressional approval. That, I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out. You know, one, one thing's interesting, and I, I know we always talk about we, they should be treated like every other student. Like, I have a really good friend whose daughter's uh, in theater at, uh, at a great uh, institution uh, for, for theater and the arts. And uh, she's going to Prague to do uh, a show this summer. Uh, you know, and obviously, you know, it's costing her $30,000. I mean, like, I, like, so, like, you know, like, Kentucky's going to the Bahamas and, you know, they're flying a charter plane. They're like, 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 so, I mean, like the regular student doesn't get, you know, the, the, the same, the, the, the same gal is in, has been in multiple shows on her campus that sells out every single show doesn't make a dime. And but she can't that's just a regular student. She's, but right? she's allowed to, that, that's not, that's the issue. It's not, it's not what you get. It's what it's what you're allowed to do. And the only you know, the one thing that players get that no other student gets is they get limited. And so the, the there's no limit on on your your example that the, the theater student, he or she could act in movies. They could uh, write scripts and sell it. They could produce their own Netflix series on campus as long as the campus agreed to it, you know, as, as far as is giving them the rights to do it. And now and with an IL, background. so can an athlete, right? An athlete can too now. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. And I, I've actually used this as a, a an example or analogy. If, college, if colleges and universities use those same drama departments to put on uh, uh, student-run productions that were Broadway show caliber, and they were selling these things out at $700 a ticket like they do up on Broadway. And they were producing uh, original content for Netflix and Amazon Prime and things like that and selling these things. Like at the University of Missouri, they produced Ozark and it was student run. And But, but the schools had all banded together saying, look, we're making a lot of money doing this, but it's really for the benefit of our, you know, thespi our, our student thespians. Uh, so we're going to agree not to pay them. You don't think all the parents would be knocking on their door saying, uh-uh, no, you're not going to make billions of dollars off our kids and not pay them. Of course, of course they would say that. It would be exactly the same. You know, we, we've chosen to run this multi-billion dollar business off college campuses, and we think it should be the same, not, not you and, and me, but, but some, some, of the, some of the people in the system that are, are talking loudest right now seem to think this should be like it was in 1970 
and or 1980 or whatever, or when I was playing. And, and that's just not the reality of, of how these big businesses work. We turned this into a multi-billion dollar business, you know, and you've heard that. I don't, don't mean to ramble on you, Seth, but, but you've heard this as much as I have. You and I will be at, at doing a 930 game on a weeknight. And somebody with the home team will come over and say, this is ridiculous. Like these players have to go to school tomorrow. This is crazy. And you'll in a nice way say, you guys can play whenever you want. Like we didn't schedule this game at 930. Um, it, we, we told you we would pay you more if we played at 930 and you took the money. Like you can play at noon every day if you want, but we pay less at noon. And we pay less at noon on, on Saturday than we do for a 9.30 game on Tuesday. That's what happened. That's why we have all these games played on these nights at these times yeah. is because television is willing to pay more and the schools wanted the money. And, and they're the ones that complain about it. Now the coaches will complain about it. Like how many times too, have you heard like a coach says, I don't want to do that damn halftime interview. Well, you sold it to us. Like, you know, you, it's in the contract, you know, like, I I don't care whether you want to do it or not. Like, if you don't want to do it, then don't sell it to us. We paid for that. And, uh, and, you know, they act like, well, John Wooden didn't have to do it. Well, John Wooden didn't get paid like you get paid. And, and that's sort of the, that's sort of the rub here is, is we're running, we're running a huge business here. And, uh, and like, I, I wish it, I wish everybody could join hands and sing Kumbaya and, and, but, but if, if this were like the NCAA talks about it, then, then every athlete would just apply to the school he or she wanted to go, go to, and they'd have tryouts every year, but we don't do it that way. We recruit because the talent is necessary uh, to be competitive and, and and to do well, which, which all these schools want to do because you do well, you make more money, your school gets advanced and all that stuff. Um, it's a, it's just a big business and we just have to admit it and deal with it. Yeah, it is a big business and we do have to deal with it. And, and, you know, maybe contracts is, is the way to go and maybe finding a salary cap within those contracts, within whatever becomes division one or the power five is is the way to go. And again, we're not going to have, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're not going to have a salary cap without collective bargaining. And, and, but, but, but I do believe well, just then you like need the, all those five conferences under one, like the power no, you don't. have got to I mean, go under one roof. No, you don't. Because right now there are no uh, ceiling, there's no ceiling on what you can pay a coach. And so every, and just using that as an example, I'm not saying coaches should have a salary cap, but uh, the market gets set and it's pretty orderly. So each school decides, like I, I read the other day where Coach K two years ago made like 13.7 million. And part of that was deferred compensation, but it's still 13.7 million. So another school looks at that and says, yeah, we, we, we get it. We can't pay that, but we're willing to pay X. Everybody decides what they're going to pay. And, and, you know, just because you're paying your coach, Nick Saban makes the most doesn't mean that they can't get beat by Texas A&M who's paying less. Um, it, it's, it's really, it operates pretty, the market will figure itself out. And people will make decisions that are in their best interest. So a salary cap might be nice, but people, again, people forget when there's a salary cap, there's also a salary minimum and the players get half the revenue. And, uh, and that's a, that's a, 
the schools aren't going to want to pay half the revenue to the players because they can operate the business on paying them way less than that, at least for now. Uh, so we're a long, I think we're a long way off from, from salary caps and collective bargaining absent Congress uh, providing that. I think if, if your, if your model comes to fruition, we're going to have a 60 school college, high, high major college athletics. Cause I, 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 I don't, I, I don't see, um, you know, again, I, you just go through the conferences. I think, I think conferences would shrink because there are certain schools and certain markets that might not be able to, to compete. And if you're not going to compete, uh, you know, certain schools just you know, don't have the, the abilities to create those type of revenues, even with television. Like, well, as long as they're part of, as long as they're part of these conferences, they will. And you know, like the SEC is about to sign a new deal. The Big Ten's going to sign one that is reportedly going to be over a billion dollars a year. So, so it, it it strains the mind to think that Northwestern can't compete with with uh, you know one uh, fourteenth of a billion. Uh, of course, they can compete. Now, they may not win. Uh, and I don't mean to pick on Northwestern, but but they they may not win at the same level that Michigan or uh, Purdue or Ohio State wins, but they'll be able to compete. And you know, all these places need uh, they also need these leagues need need inventory, so they do need uh, these schools to stay yeah, in there. Right. Um, exactly. But there's there's no that's why I said years ago that I thought I thought if I were uh, you know the ACC, I'd go to the SEC and say let's merge our leagues. Because I think they could they could have a mini NBA and a mini uh, NFL if they did that with all those natural rivalries and they wouldn't need the rest of college football and college basketball if they could do that. Um, it, well, that's it what the SEC is looking at right now. They're, they're looking at their own basically championship, right? And I read something the other day about that. They're, I mean, they're looking. I, I believe what Greg Sankey is doing is looking at at a number of different scenarios and trying to game out what could happen. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's any necessarily any movement that the SEC is going to go its own way or, you know, it's the queen on the chessboard going to decide everything. I think, I think what smart business people do is they, they have different scenarios and they try to figure out, game out, what, you know, what, what could we do here? And also for them, uh, for everybody in college football, but especially for the SEC, the Big Ten, they have to they have to figure out what the the world's going to look like if the college football playoff doesn't get off its backside and figure out what to do after 2025 when I think the contract is up. And so right now we're talking about some of these different leagues. They're talking about uh, you know the Pac-12 has to make more money to to be more competitive. And uh, the same thing with the ACC because the big the 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 Big Ten and the SEC are. Uh, out front in producing revenue as a conference. Um, so th- does that mean that Clemson can't win the national championship because the ACC doesn't make as much? Of course not. They can still be competitive and, and it's still going to be great competition. But, um, you know, the idea that every, hey, if, if, if everybody wanted um, equity and to give uh, a competitive balance across the board or this level playing field stuff everybody talks about, then the schools would share revenues and they don't want to. They're not going to do that. Well, and that's why I'm saying that, that like, so we have an NCAA tournament and basically uh, the automatic qualifiers would disappear because, uh, because half of the three quarters of the automatic qualifiers wouldn't be the tournament yet. You're, they're getting a, uh, their league is getting a unit. 
And I mean, right. that's the big thing with the, the women's basketball. You know, there are no units because the contract, obviously our contract was not big enough to create any real, real revenue in, in, in the women's game to, 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 to justify the money. So, I mean, like, and that's well, why, I'm not, that's I'm not sure I, on that. I'm not sure on that. Um, you know, look, the, the, the women's contract was negotiated uh, w- with the men's and was not given the attention it deserved. Um, it was there, there were so many other sports that were thrown into the main contract for the NCAA men's basketball tournament. So the, the women's tournament has grown by leaps and bounds and it is a valuable property. Uh, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure we want to go down this rabbit hole, but I don't believe that the NCAA properly valued that. I think they gave it away along with a lot of other sports that, that may not happen, uh, in the future under different leadership, but, but that, that's a, that's a different story. You know, the, the, your point about can these other schools like, well, we have automatic qualifiers. It, it's it's sort of the, the same discussion as with, you know, 354 Division One institutions. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's great in theory to have half the field automatic qualifiers in the NCAA tournament, the men's tournament. Um, but the truth is, like a lot of the smaller conferences, while we celebrate the upsets and had a great time with St. Peter's, that's like Haley's Comet. It just doesn't happen that often. The, the overwhelming majority of them lose. And a lot of the double-digit seeds we see win are actually major conference teams that got slated as a double-digit seed. So would we miss them? Um, I don't know that we would. But but we could still have a separate division that, you know, I think the number used was 120, uh, but whatever it is. Say we had 120 that broke off and had its own division. They could still have the NCAA men's basketball tournament and invite whomever they want. They could have slots open where where they could invite invite different teams that are not part of that upper you know upper division. Um, there, there's all kinds of things we could do with the tournament, but you may disagree with this one, Seth. If if the the big shots in the game, like the the higher revenue producing, higher uh, profile schools, all broke off in football and basketball, so we're doing our own thing. We're not going to play anybody else. When people say, "Well, I'd stop watching it," they wouldn't. They, they that that would that would kill because the, the same damn football teams are in the, in the playoff every year. Um, really the same pool of basketball teams with a few limited exceptions. You know, you could look at the top 25 from 10 years ago and swap it out for this year's top 25. And most people wouldn't notice um, because it's the same, the same, same stuff. And uh, we just love competition, love the games and all that stuff. Um, but, but you know, back to our original rants, um, you know, for those old school coaches and administrators that want to complain about this incessantly, um, you built this business and none of us complained while it was being built into this. And now that this was coming, it was, I wasn't sure if it would be now, five years from now or 10 years from now, I knew it was going to happen. At least I be- I shouldn't say I knew. I believed down to my socks this was going to happen. And it was a house of cards from a legal perspective. It was going to crumble down. And now all we have is this, this great multi-billion dollar business that is going to have to pay its revenue driving employees going forward. And I think I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, some some people don't prefer it to what we used to have, but none of them have given any of their money back. And I'm not giving mine back. Um, the players get to compete equally with us going forward, or at least they will be uh, in the future. And and I, I don't think it's going to affect competition one 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 bit. 
Well, I think it's going to play it in the next three to five years. I don't, I don't know how quickly this is going to evolve. Uh, uh, but I think there are some people that are, uh, yeah, we're going to see a transition of the NCAA. We're going to probably see a transition of, of the guidelines. We're going to see a transition of the, the manner in which the athletes are, are, are dealt with in terms of financial uh, revenue. But I just think it's very interesting to me that we started the whole thing with NIL, which we should, we probably shouldn't even started with NIL. We're, although it's, it's got to maybe us to this point at warp speed because NIL in one year went to pay for play. So, I mean, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's been a litmus test to say, all right, we've got to move faster. The, the problem is how fast can you move uh, when we're going to be in a transition with the NCAA uh, and, and once you get through that transition, you're still going to have multiple years where someone's going to have to come in and reshape a whole enterprise. I, you know, yeah, I, with, I with mean, competent I, leadership, I, think, I hear you, but with competent leadership, which frankly we haven't had, um, it's just, that's just not that difficult. And what, what this shows more than anything, Seth, in my view is that all that we've said over the years, when I say we, I'm talking about the NCAA, you know, sort of the people in charge, the member institutions, those who spoke with the NCAA microphone, they, they tried to make it seem like the players weren't worth anything. And, and, you know, some of them aren't even worth the scholarship, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that narrative was out there and it was, it was put forth not only um, publicly, it was put forth in some of these legal cases under oath. And we've seen that that was a lie. Um, the players are worth a ton and, and the schools are willing to pay them. Um, you know, and we see these collectives, like none of these schools are shutting their collectives down. None, none of the presidents are stamping their feet saying, you will not do this on my watch. Um, you know, they're not only allowing it, they're encouraging it because they want, they want to be good. And they know that the, the best way to be good is to have the best players. Um, and, and we're going to see that continue. We're going to see the competition for players continue because that, that's, the, that's the driving force behind being a, a, a great team is having, having great players. Yeah, I, 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 again, you know the, leg the legality of it and how it, it, it can be uh, basically administered. I, I just think that saying it could happen easily to me, I, I, I just – there's so many moving parts right now because you, you know, first you got to separate, then you've got to come up with your bylaws, then you've got to come up with the manner in which you're going to each. Is it going to be each school? Is it going to be each conference? Is it going to be, uh, you know, I mean, like there's so many, you know, like what do you do? What do you do with the, you know, the Gonzagas of the world and, and people that are outside of the, because they're an influencer, but they're not an influencer. Well, but that's, uh, let me, let me break in there. So, First of all, you don't have to break off to do any of this. All you have to do, all the NCAA has to do is deregulate and say, you can do whatever you want. You, you can sign players to contracts, do whatever you want. And let the and if the conferences want to put in, they're really the only way le legally you can regulate some of this stuff is if, the con if they did it on the conference level and it weren't sort of a, a collusive uh, wage restriction uh, that went across the board. Uh, if they wanted to limit athletes in the first place, you know, I, to me, I just open it up and let the schools pay whatever the hell they want. 
and figure, you know, figure it out on their own, just like they do with coaches and the size of their staff. I mean, you know, you've been to some of these football programs. They don't bear the, the University of Alabama football program bears zero resemblance to the University of Alabama football program of 30 years ago. Zero. They have, they probably have five times as many coaches and staff as they had 20, 30 years ago, five times. And I don't, I, honestly, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, and, and the amount of money that's being spent, uh, you know, they can certainly figure out what they want to pay each one of these players. And, and the NCAA can put in roster limits. That's simple. It's really simple. Uh, and roster limits take care of a lot of these problems because you can't stockpile players, all that stuff like you could back in the day. Um, so I don't think you have to break off to do any of these things. Um, but that's that's what's going to be that's what's best for the business in time is so that you don't have to you know share revenues and share money with all these uh, all these different people. Very interesting. We got way out. Hey, Taylor, we got way off talking about the players today. 